Well, hello, hello. This is Timmy down in Juneau, and um excited to kind of talk through some of the effective meeting tools that we have specifically focused around um, Robert's rules, but, uh, you know, kind of also talking about some of the, I don't want to say the bad things that happen with Robert's rules, but what happens when people focus too much on that and not um, not on everything else. So this is a great opportunity for us to just kind of chat through and discuss maybe some issues that might have happened. Um, but, of course, it, you know, being the school board association, we always like to talk about where um, where your board's bylaws start and how they even begin. And, oh, it looks like someone else is logging on. That's wonderful. So, um, you know, when in doubt when we're in a meeting, I always say the first thing that you should do is make sure that you're checking into your bylaws. And those are all the 9,000s that you have. What I find um, really interesting about this, especially when I go out to work with boards and we do retreats, and, you know, about every three years or so we might look at their bylaws, and we read sentence by sentence through them, and it's amazing where they go, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that in our bylaws it stated blah, blah, blah. For example, our meetings have to be done by this time or that, you know, this certain way we're supposed to do things. So it is always a good thing to look back in our board bylaws to see what the ground rules are, what the expectations are, and, and especially for new members to know what their responsibility is. And so that's always such a great way to begin the process. And so if you haven't done a review in a while, that might be a great place to think about starting. And especially if you have a bunch of new board members, it's a great a great thing to consider. Um, then we'll, like I said, mostly focus today on the Roberts Rules of Order and just kind of looking at the basic principles behind them. Um, you know, there's some real generic things to start out with, and that's always... I think Robert's Rules was originally established so that, number one, everybody gets an opportunity to have their voice heard, and number two, you know, just remembering that it is a way to keep some respect at the table and that there is one issue being discussed at a time and that there's one person discussing that. And then most importantly, that it's really that only an issue is only discussed one time during a meeting. Um, and that's really important because sometimes if people have a specific agenda they want to get to or something, this kind of hones us back. Well, we've already discussed this and it's been put aside. We can bring it up at the next meeting, but not again tonight. Um, and that all discussions are germane to the pending question. You know, working with boards as much as I have in the last few years, I know that it's real easy for a board to begin that bird walking, that taking off on a different task. Because if anyone's mind is like mine and has a little ADD in it, you know that it's really easy to jump from topic one to topic three, and really you need to stay on the one topic that you're discussing. And so that's where Robert's Rules really helps us keep that going. Um, looking down, you know, the, the interruptions part, the majority rules. And I think that an important part of Robert's Rules is that silence implies consent. And what that really means to me is that if you have something you want to say, you better say it and get it on the table because if you don't say something, it just means that you agree or you're accepting what's going on. And so it's really important as a board member to remember that, that if you don't say something, it's basically meaning that you agree and you're, you're giving your consent. Continuing with some of the basic rules of Robert's Rule, uh, basic rules of Robert's Rule is that, you know, hopefully there are no surprises. And so board members out there, how how can you assure and and Bill as a superintendent, you know, what are some ways that that we all make sure that there aren't any surprises that happen within the meetings? 
big part of that is uh, good communication between the board chairman and the superintendent. Mm-hmm. Prior to the meeting, uh, we usually determine our uh, board agenda at least uh, uh, a full week prior. Uh, we have uh, a work session, and two weeks later, a board meeting. And oftentimes, we try to get rid of, we try to answer all the questions that we might be aware of at that work session and kind of leading up to what our agenda might be at the next board meeting. And then by the following Monday, have uh, basically all of our items ready and get those out to the board. And then that interim time is if any board members have questions about uh, any particular thing, they have an opportunity to do that. And then your agenda is pretty well set. And then, of course, you follow Robert Rules of Order and you go through your meeting and it, it, it tends to allow it to not have those uh, surprises, but every once in a while something will jump up depending on who's in the audience and someone may sign up to speak and uh, things of that nature. Right. But absolutely, I think making sure that the agenda is worked on with both the chair and the superintendent is probably the most important thing and that and that everything is given to the board in ample time so that they can go through it and read it. Now, that also implies that all the board members will take the opportunity to sit down and read things. Uh, see, I just lost my um, connection again, so if any of you did, I may have to restart. So just be patient, and I'll get caught back up. It's saying that it lost its connection again. So, um, indeed, getting the agenda ready and being prepared there is most important. Anyone else have any thoughts on that? So um, the other part is that, um, you know, that every with the agenda, everybody does have the right to know what's going to be discussed, and that's what's really important, you know, and that's where the agenda sets that out in place for people. So just keeping that in mind. Oh, my goodness. Let me see. I'm sorry, team here. Um, so then moving on, and you can't see this right now, but I'll make sure that you have that opportunity, is that everyone is equal. And one of the things that people sometimes get confused about is that they do think that sometimes the chair isn't equal or the chair doesn't have as much of a voice because they're the chair. And that is also not true. Um, everyone is equal. The chair has a voice. And um, and they are able to talk through as much as anyone else. At times they may have to um, – and that they have, they may have to set something aside as their chair, but but they do have that voice. And then um, a, the most important thing, and the reason that Robert's rules is in place, is so that everybody's voice does get to be heard and talked about at some point. The next slide um, that, when it comes back up, will show is says, does the board really need to follow Robert's rules of order? And according to Robert's Rules of Order, the tenth edition, page nine, line twenty-one, it states that in small boards less than 12 people, most parliamentary rules apply, but certain modifications permitting greater flexibility and informality are commonly allowed. So it's just something to keep in mind that sometimes with a smaller board, it is allowed that some tweaking is done, but for the most part, it is good practice to follow um, Robert's rules. So... The most common mistakes that school boards make around this area with with boards is um, and meetings is understanding what the roles chair is and is not. And again, that is all established in the bylaws, and it should be gone through, especially if you have a new chair coming on. And so, um, Barb, is this your first year as the chair of your board? 
She may have us muted. So, you know, when you when you have a new chair, and Bill, who's your chair this year? Kim Williams. Okay, and is this his first year? Uh, it's her. Uh, Kim oh, I'm sorry, Kim. Yeah, that's right. Obviously, but she just, uh, you know, just took the chair. That's right. Uh, a few months back. Yeah, I do remember that. I was thinking you said Kim, but Kim, yeah, she's she has been around for a while. Okay, I am. So I think think when you have a, a new person, it's always just good to go through their roles and their responsibilities and see what's going on um, and be able to, um, to you know, make sure that they understand where they can and where they can't um, do things. Secondly um, is that poor agenda planning. And definitely, Bill, you talked about how important that is to um, have that out there and talk through. And that can certainly um, take care of a lot of the problems that may be may happen. Um, one of the other mistakes that boards make is forgetting that the school board is truly a corporate board and it does have responsibilities above and beyond just the district, but it is a corporate board and it has has to follow the rules and the laws and the things that go around that area. Um, I'm trying to log back in and see if I can get us back, back up visually now. Um, next protocol problem is that they forget to demand the proper respect by all board members. And so sometimes we have that rogue board member who doesn't want to follow the rules and it sometimes is easier to let, you know, it might be easier to let them off the hook than to hold them accountable, but it is so vitally important that we hold them accountable for what they're doing. And last but not least, um, one of the biggest mistakes is that the board um, forgets that the way they act as a board really sends an important message to the community and the people sitting in the room. And the way that you hold yourself up and the way that you respect each other, because if nothing else, they will sense um, they will sense miscommunication between you, they will sense when there's a problem, and that is definitely not what anyone wants because um, we know that they're watching us, we know that we set the example, and if we're trying to talk about how staff and students should all respect each other, then it's as vitally important that we um, that we talk about how we respect each other. And so that's where I love the next slide, and let me know if you can see that, that the board must not forget that someone is always watching them. So moving on to the agenda at this point, that agenda is the map. And I was thinking when I put this together, um, oh, my gosh, that my husband and I just got back from a quick vacation last weekend, and I was thinking how important our maps were as we planned our trip, you know, where we were going. And if we hadn't had a map to help us give some direction, we absolutely would have gotten lost and not known where we're going. And that's exactly what the agenda does for the board. It helps them give that direction. It belongs to all the members of the board, though, and not just the chair and the superintendent. And that's where it's important as all board members, especially new board members, learn to give input and learn to be able to talk through uh, and share that they want some um, they want information being passed on and sent um, to to the agenda. Once adopted, it can only be changed at a regular board meeting, and that requires a two-thirds vote. Um, handling board members' general concerns and um, the agenda is also limits what can be brought up at the evening's um, meeting. And I think that board members appreciate that as well. It doesn't just have this open-ended where anything can be talked about at any time. 
The agenda is to inform members, lock in the business, and alert the public to what's going to be discussed. And um, that way, public can't come back to you and say, well, I had no idea this was going to be issued. Um, and so just making sure that that you have that um, ready to show people and have it out by the time you say you're going to have it out is what's important. Um, be careful to note that there's action items and there's information items and um, be aware of what consent agenda is and being able to share that with others is also um, an important thing because sometimes that's confusing to people. Public participation at board meetings. The public attendance law is just that. It's not a public participation law. It is not required by law to allow um, the participation. A meeting held in the public is what's important, not that they have to allow people to participate. However, most boards in Alaska have somewhere on the agenda for the public input, and that's, you know, very respectful and important. I think it's really important to have a sign-up procedure and other rules around when people from the public are going to talk. Um, so just keeping that in mind. Usually a time limit is good and sticking to that time limit. Um, and make sure that the comments are about issues, not about individuals. When is it time to talk about individuals? Obviously, that happens in executive session. And sometimes one of the biggest questions I get from board members is, well, a person in the public stood up and started talking about, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, a person on staff. At that time, it's vitally important that the chairperson call that person um, and, and, and indicate that, you know, individuals cannot be named, we cannot be talked about. When we talk about individuals, it, it needs to be done in executive session, um, and we will not do that in public comment. So just keeping that in mind. Remember to not get in debates with the public during the meetings, and remember to follow, um, to establish follow-up. How do how are we going to follow up on a concern that someone brings forward? And so um, otherwise they're going to think that you're just, you know, you really don't want their input and that you're just giving them face time and make sure that there's something that you're following up on. Our board meeting minutes are crucial. And this is where we need to thank our board superintendent secretaries who are amazing men and women across the state. Um, there are some critical things that need to be in each of the minutes, the date, the time, the place who was present, what motions were made, and most importantly, each member's vote should be recorded by name. Um, uh, you know, it's, if everyone voted one way, then that's okay, but if there was a split vote, it needs to say who voted on which end, and that should be recorded. And last but not least, and I help secretaries with this a lot, is record the work that is done, not what is said at every meeting. Sometimes, um, typically, I get most school district minutes um, sent to me, and sometimes I'm amazed at how verbose they are. And really, it's because the secretary is taking down every single thing that a person said, and what, what needs to be documented is what is done, not what is said. So, um, and sometimes it's because board members demand, well, I want to know who said that, or I want to know who said this. What, again, is important is what action was taken, so just kind of keep that in mind. Um, what to leave out of the minutes? Um, you need to leave out all those um, judgment phrases that people said, opinions that people brought forth, um, all that flowerly language that we try and tell um, high school students not to put in their writing. Um, you do not need to include who seconded a motion. 
Um, so just kind of keep that in mind as we're going through that, that the more concise they are and the more direct they are to um, the specific topic and action that was taken is what's vitally important. Um, so let's move on to uh, the last thing about minutes being critical. They are legally binding once they're approved. And that can be kind of daunting to some people. But remember, again, that the minutes are um, very important because they are a legal document. And they are the recording of the actions of the board, not of an individual. And so, again, it's the board actions, not an individual's actions. And it is every single board member's role to make sure that the minutes are, um, are representative of what the board did. So, you know, if you're if you're voting to accept the minutes and you haven't read through them, that's really dangerous on your part because, you know, it could have said something that the board, you know, didn't intend to do or did intend to do, and I think that that's important. You can't go back and say, oh, but that's not what I meant or that's not what happened, really, because once you've voted on it, they're, they're in law and they're a legal binding document. So I think that that's real important to remember. Bill, have you ever had any experiences with minutes where they've come back and, and had some law legal issues around them? Uh, you know, not my tenure here, uh -huh. but, you know, it, that does happen. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of times superintendents can share that horror story. <laughs> we don't always want to get there, but it definitely um, definitely is possible, and that's why it's so important to make sure you have the right person in that seat. So now the, the kind of the meat of this um, session and, and the real important part that people can take a lot away from especially um, sharing it with other board members, is how to handle the motions and amendments. And I'm going to walk through these next six steps. And if you visually can't see them right now, they will be online, and you can follow along with them at that point. So step one is a person making a motion. Step two is the seconding of the, the, seconding of the motion. The third step is the chair restating it. Then there's the debate and the vote and the announcement of it. And it's pretty straightforward. Yet at the same time, each step has a few um, intricacies that probably should be discussed. So um, and looking at the member making a motion, you know, it's wonderful if someone, when they make a motion, have had it written down or have the opportunity to write it down and passing that over to the secretary or first to the chair and then the chair can pass it on to the secretary so that the wording is as accurate as the person making the motion wants that. And when it's poorly worded, um, the chairperson actually can ask for some clarification on that. I like to say that the fewer the words, the better it might be, um, just for clarification purposes. One of the other things that people get confused about is that <clears throat> can the chair make a motion? Absolutely. They can do it. Hopefully they don't always have to because other people are. But if no one else is, the chair can cautiously put a motion on the table. And again, be precise, know what it is that you want, and make sure that you're, um, you're doing that. Motions are out of order if it deals nothing with what's being discussed at the table. So if someone, you know, there's a discussion going on and someone makes a motion um, that has absolutely nothing on topic, you know, that's out of order. If it is conflict with local, state, and federal law, you know, that is an out of order motion. And so it's just... There is no way that someone can make a motion that I make a motion that I want to allow the ninth, 10th, and 11th graders 
to smoke in our school. We know that that can't happen because, you know, under state law they have to be 18. Um, another emotion that would be out of order is if it is the exact same issue that was dealt with earlier in the meeting. We cannot revisit and redo issues that have already been dealt with during that meeting. And then last but not least, a motion would be out of order if it deals with something outside of the board's role, the board's scope of work. So, you know, a school board probably cannot go in and say, well, I make a motion that the, um, that the speed limit change on the, you know, on the main road to the high school. You know, that's not something the board can, can affect and so, or it can affect it, but it can't make a motion about it and do anything about it. Um, Step two, seconding the motion. This implies that the person that makes the second really just wants to have a discussion about the motion. It does not imply, and it should not imply, that that person agrees with or is ready to vote in favor of that motion. It simply is something out there to say that they want to discuss further this situation. If no one has a second for the motion, then it instantly fails. Um, anybody have any idea of what does not need a second? There are a few things that don't need a second. Bill, do you, can you think of them or not? Uh, what was the question, Tilly? Oh, what, what motions do not need a second? Well... It might be a trick question. It's pretty easy. It's the point of information, a point of order, or a parliamentary inquiry. They do not have to have a second. So if someone moves for um, a point of order, someone moves for a point of information, or someone moves for a parliamentary inquiry, those don't need a second. So just keep that in mind. Um, if, if there is a board member that wants to know about that, then that needs to be done and looked into. So moving on to step three. The chair then restates the motion, and this is when it's formally put in front of the board. The chair, after rereading it and stating the motion, actually then allows the ownership of the motion to go in front of the full board, and they restate the chair does this so that we can open debate, and the chair reminds the board um, and pulls them back if we start to stray from that question. Um, so this is when it all should be talked about. So often, it doesn't matter what kind of board we're on, so often people start talking about the issue before there's even been a motion on the table. And so that's where it's important for the chair to kind of say, do we have a motion so we can discuss something? And so then beginning that six-step process. But um, because most of the discussion should happen once a motion is on the table. And then, after all the discussion has gone around, that is when the board has to do something with the motion. So once it's on the table. The fourth step to a motion is the debate of it. Um, and the debate, it, typically, again, um, the chair should ask the person that made the motion to speak first because they were the one bringing up the issue and laying it on the table. Um, again, all debate should focus on that question and that, in, that topic and not get off and not go down the bird walking path. Um, and if possible, if there's a debate going on, it should go back and forth between the pros and cons instead of 
everybody talking one-sided. Um, if there are some, if there's some diversion or some disagreement, then we should hear both sides of the table on an equal basis back and forth. And it's really vitally important at this point that the chair makes sure that every single person is recognized to speak before another, before the, an individual speaks for a second or third or fourth time. Because typically, if someone puts a motion on the table, they may have a lot of passion behind it, they may want to do more with it, they may um, have some real strong feelings and they want to speak and speak and speak, yet someone in the corner who hasn't had an opportunity to say anything can't even seem to get themselves in because the people with the passion are real strong about it. So the chair needs to really make sure in these situations that they're calling on members um, who they have not heard from. And it's just one of those things that becomes very um, second nature for the chair once they've done it a little bit. But, um, you know, keeping that going is is really important. Step five um, is the members voting. And the chairperson repeats the motion um, before calling for a vote. And so um, the chairperson uh, rereads it, re you know, restates it exactly how it will be in the minutes because that's um, what's important is, is that it, what's going to go down in writing. Secret ballots should never, ever, ever be used. And the vote with each member's um, vote in it should officially go into the minutes. So again, um, you know, having that vote and having the person be able to say, um, or in the minutes, when I read the minutes, I should see which members voted pro or con to an issue. And so um, we'll keep it moving like that. At the end, after the vote, the, um, they should announce the votes so that the totals are in the minutes. The chair does vote on them all. And if there was a tie, that means that the, it is a lost vote. If there's a tie, it does not pass. And that's one of the questions that people also um, get a little confused about. So if it's a tie, it means that it is a lost vote at that point. Um, number six, the last step, announcing the vote. Um, announcing the outcome of the vote and give the number of, um, of in favor and opposed. And then what are going to be the next steps? So what's the next step? So um, moving on, there are motions to the school board, motions for a school board meeting. And there are 10 main things that can happen. Um, one of the first motions that people always love is the motion to adjourn. And that's one that is pretty self-explanatory and needs to happen at the appropriate time, but I don't think that one needs much more explanation. There's also a motion to recess. And that means that we're going to take a break and move on. But then there are some more um, questionable ones. And there's a motion to lay on the table. And what that means is that if we're going to lay something on the table, we're going to suspend consideration of a motion for a while. We're going to not talk about it until some more work can be done. Um, and we're going to bring it back at a different time um, for discussion at that point. The fourth motion for a school board is calling the previous question. And that means that the um, board member is ready to end debate and they want to see if we can call for a vote on this and, and, and that, and, and the debate. Um, so they're calling to close the discussion. That's, that's again previous question. Number five, limit or extend limits of debates. 
And that is basically saying that we are going to only give a set amount of time for each person to talk on their side of the issues. And this occurs sometimes if um, you have a lot of public people coming in or if you know that there are certain board members that want to talk a lot and you're getting close to the end of the meeting, you may limit or extend limit of the debate. Um, you can move to number six, postpone to a certain time. Um, and if you do that, that is delaying the action on a motion until a different day and a different meeting. So again, if you postpone to a certain time, you're specifically delaying action on that motion until a different day and meeting. Number seven, you commit or refer to committees. So if you take a motion and you commit or refer to a committee, you want someone else to be looking into this and um, and they're going to commit or refer the work to someone else. Then we have um, number number eight, a secondary amendment, which is an amendment to the amendment. Um, we have a motion for the primary amendment, and that's an amendment to the motion. And I know this is where it gets really deep and in here, and hopefully this, this chart in the next page will help that. So a secondary amendment is an amendment to an amendment, where the primary amendment is an amendment to the motion. And so if you look at it in this tiered area, um, it may help you set that up. And then there's the, the main motion, and that's always so. The main motion is the first one. A primary amendment is an amendment to that main motion, and then the secondary amendment is an amendment to that amendment. And that's as far as you can go. So looking at that ladder backwards, um, you start with the main motion and you move forward from there. And that one, there could probably be tons of questions on, and I would be glad to help with that. But I think this little chart is also something that's good to look at. However, by turning to the next slide, it's simplified chart of most of those parliamentary motions. And so, for an example, an motion to adjourn is not debatable, it's not amendable, and it must have a majority vote. Um, a motion to recess is not debatable, but it is amendable, and it must have a majority vote. Um, and you can continue down. Um, if to lay a motion on the table is not debatable, it's not amendable, and must have a majority. To close debate is the same thing. It's not debatable, not amendable, and has two-thirds two vote. Um, However, if you go down this list, the main motion is debatable, it is amendable, and it must have the majority. So almost all um, parliament, parliamentary motions must have a majority vote, but occasionally you only need two-thirds. And, for example, um, with the closing debate on this list. But on the chart that I will have posted, for those of you that can't see it right now, you will be able to go through this and see that. And that might be a great little cheat sheet that you can have and you can pass out and you can share with some of your other fellow board members um, for the future because those are the most common parliamentary motions in our board meetings. The adjournment, recess, laying on a table, closing debate, um, postponing, referring, um, seconding, primary, and main motions. And um, that cheat sheet might be wonderful to have. I know that in the past um, boards have been really happy to have that in front of their eyes. And 
then last but not least, um, the simplified chart of car common procedural motions. And again, um, here they are laid out with um, are they debatable, are they amendable, and what are the, what are the votes needed there. And um, continuing on with that, here's some more of the two-thirds versus the majority. Uh, and so I, I think that, and I, I feel terrible that people do not have the ability, some of them cannot see this today. And so hopefully you can follow back through and look at this and see if there are anything and any specific questions um, that may arise that you, that you want to discuss through. Um, most of this information comes off of two recommended readings that I uh, keep up site. And one of them is the Complete Idiot's Guide to Robert's Rules, and the second one is Robert's Rules of Order in the Brief. It's the shortened version of that. And I would highly recommend either of those if people um, are really struggling with some Robert's Rules and, and want to learn a little bit more about them. Um, you know, there's lots of things out there on the websites that you can find. There's one expert gentleman that, um, that I've read a lot of. His name is Jim Slaughter, and S-L-A-U-G-H-T-E-R. And he has wonderful websites um, with quizzes on them about parliamentary procedure. And, um, you know, it's something that we occasionally do at trainings. We do some updates on that. And so I just think that those are the key things that people want to know about in the meetings. Um, it's, it's getting the, the agenda prepared in time. It's getting the motions um, delivered and discussed in the proper order. And it's making sure that, that things are done in accordance to the rules so that everyone's voice is heard at the table. So... Um, I apologize profusely for those of you that have been having some technical difficulties seeing this today. I will ensure that this gets up on our website um, this afternoon so that you can pull them up and look at that. But are there any, I know that there's some people listening in that are not able to see, are there any questions or discussions that people want to have to um, specific things that have happened in their meetings that they want to discuss that we could talk about for a second? Uh just a, a comment, you know, depending on the uh, audience size and the relative controversy of an issue, mm -hmm. if you know that you or you have a large audience and you know something is controversial and, and people have strong opinions about it, it's uh, not a bad practice and it's within the rules to have each one recognize state before they start, are they for or opposed to the motion, because that can force people really to think a little bit more before they just go on their bird walk and, and start going after it. And it will also give those in the chair making the decision know more specifically where people are coming from, because some folks will just go on and on and on. You're not quite sure what they're saying. So having them state whether they're for or against that particular motion can be helpful. You generally don't need to do that with smaller meetings and limited audiences. Right. No, I think that's a great a great point because um, even sometimes after someone goes down their bird walk, you're still not sure which side they fall out on. So <laughs> it is really a good thing to state. Um, and you know, some some boards have that sign up procedure at the front, and, and sometimes it's included on that. But that's a great point, Bill. Thank you for bringing that up. Anyone else have any thoughts or, or comments out there? I can see you're on mute, Barbara. Anything else from Gnome? 
Well, again, I apologize for the technical difficulties today. We will try to rectify what's going on, and I will have both the recording of this and the presentation up on the site later today so you can share it with some other board members to listen to and view. And I think the PowerPoint for this one would be something worth sharing the presentation, so feel free to do that. And uh, we look forward to helping out in any way that we can. So have a great day, everyone else, and we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thanks, Julie. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Please stand by.